Would you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15? And as you're doing that, I just want to mention a couple things before we begin today. Uh, one, uh, this past week, Gail and I were at a conference called Team 500. It's a conference that the Evangelical Free Church pulls together for pastors uh, in the Free Church who are in churches in the size range between 500 and 1,000. And uh, we get together because we have a lot of common things that we can talk about and uh, things that relate to the size of church that we are. And then they also bring in three pastors from churches that are in, uh, in churches a thousand or more in attendance because there are things that you can always learn from looking ahead to a different size uh, of church as well. And it was just a very refreshing, encouraging time. I came back with a lot of ideas and uh, things, you know, a clearer picture perhaps of where we need to make changes as we move forward and as God continues to bless and we grow as a church. I also had the opportunity to go to my first uh, video venue uh, worship service where churches are doing that some now where you have live worship but you watch the uh, pastor on uh, television uh, basically as you listen to the message just to see what that's like. And there were... 250 some people crammed into a room with their coffee cups watching you know the pastor preach live on on tv and it was interesting to be a part of that as well uh, so there are a lot of different ways that church are being uh, is being done today uh, this was an evangelical free church in charlotte north carolina that had about 2,000 people and they had seven different services and uh, four of those are live and three of those are video venues going on at the same time and so it was just an interesting look at how they were operating as a church. But all of that to say, you know what? I just love coming home. <laughs> coming back here and worshiping with you and hearing Pastor Dan and the worship team lead us. It's just such a joy. I just feel so blessed by our congregation and by those that God has raised up here. And it's just good to be with you again today. So let's take a look at John 15, verses 1 to 17. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. 
For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Let's pray. Father, this is just such a rich passage of Scripture. There is so much here that is practical for our daily walk with you and our relationship with Christ. Lord, would you be pleased this morning to really just open that up to us. Show us what it is that you want us to learn. Make those application points in our life so that we might grow in that kind of rich and full and satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Today we are looking at the last of the I am statements that Jesus made in John's Gospel. It is the statement, I am the vine. And what Jesus was about to tell his disciples at this time was something very, very significant. You see, the vine was the symbol of Israel. It was stamped on their coins that they had minted during the Maccabean period. Uh, It was a symbol there that everybody could see when they used this currency. It was also a symbol that was on the temple. They had this beautiful, long, ornate vine that was a symbol of Israel there on the temple. Because God had said to Israel, You are my vine, that I have planted this vineyard, and you are to be my people, and you are to bear fruit for me. The problem was that as Israel went along, they didn't do that very well. They walked away from God. They were disobedient. They rebelled against Him. And the time had come for a change. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, God said of Israel that the vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of His delight. And he looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. Something terrible had happened in the land of Israel. Instead of there being this justice and concern for the widows, the poor, the aliens in their land, they weren't. And instead of seeing that kind of justice or righteousness and integrity, he saw only bloodshed and cries of distress. What Jesus was about to teach his disciples here is that he would replace Israel. Christ would replace Israel as the place of worship, just like he did with the temple and with the feasts. What I mean by that is that the Bible tells us that we don't need to go to Israel to worship anymore. We don't need to go to the temple to worship anymore. We don't need to offer the sacrifices that were required in the Old Testament or celebrate the feasts that were part of that observance. All of those things are fulfilled in Jesus Christ so that only one thing is essential. It is our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this passage is about. The heart of the Christian life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the measure of our walk with Him. That's why Jesus will tell us in this passage that our relationship with Him or our relationship with Christ is primary. In verse 1, He said, I am the 
true vine. Did you catch that? I'm the true vine. That word true there means genuine, that there's no one else. There's no other vine. And your relationship with Him is essential. There's a genuine stock, you might say, if you were planting and working with a vineyard. There's a genuine stock that you want to be grafted into or else you are missing it. If we are not connected to Jesus Christ in that kind of heart relationship, we haven't come to know God yet. Because there's only one Jesus. You know, it's interesting how many people try to fashion Jesus in the way that they want Him to be. I was at a bookstore this week and I saw a book there titled The Third Jesus. I picked it up, you know, just, okay, what's this about? What are they talking about there, you know? And inside they they talk about there's a historical Jesus, sort of this person who lived in the past. And people for years have been trying to recreate this historical Jesus devoid of the miraculous. This author said there's also the church Jesus, you know, that's the one that the church has sort of made him to be. But then there's this real Jesus that is sort of spiritual and universal and He's a Jesus for the whole world. He is, if you define that correctly. But so many people try to redefine Jesus and make Him what they want Him to be. And we don't need to do that. We don't need three Jesus. We only need to know the real one. The one talked about in the Scriptures. And Jesus said, I'm the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He is the vine dresser. The Father's the one who tends the vine. He waters it. He prunes it. He protects it. He nurtures it so that it will bear fruit. He lifts up those branches that have fallen down and are on the ground. And He lifts them up when we are broken and bruised. He cuts off dead branches that can harbor disease and decay. He prunes healthy, live branches so that they don't become long, rambling branches that produce little fruit. He prunes them so that they might bear more fruit. I mean, that's the whole point of this analogy of this relationship with God is that the vine grower wants his vines to be healthy and reproductive. That's why he has this vineyard. It's true for you and me as believers. He wants that for us, that we would be healthy Christians, walking with Him and reproducing. It's true of His church. He wants us to be a healthy church that is multiplying and helping others come to know Christ. You see, when a farmer plants his crops, he doesn't just go to all that work so he can have a nice field out there that looks real smooth and even and, you know, no weeds and all those kind of things just so he can look at it. He's growing that crop so that it might produce a harvest. When God thinks about the church, thinks about our relationship with Him, He wants us to produce a harvest of fruit as well. And so He prunes us. And the means by which He prunes us is by the Word of God. By the Word of God, He condemns sin in our life. He inspires holiness and He promotes growth. He uses trials and circumstances to get our attention, to refine us. And sometimes that process of pruning hurts, doesn't it? It hurts. 
when He takes away those things in our life that we've been wrongly holding on to. It hurts when He deals with attitudes in our life that are displeasing to Him or habits that need to change. There's a clear picture of what that is like in one of C.S. Lewis's books, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In that particular story, there's a young, selfish, immature boy named Eustace Scrub who thinks only of himself. And there's a point in the story where he finds himself in a dragon's cave, but not only that, he has turned into a dragon. And when he sees what's happened to himself, he wants to change, and he tries to pull away the scales from himself, and he can't do it. He can't change himself. And it's at that point that Aslan, the Christ figure, comes to him, and Aslan says this, You will have to let me undress you. And Eustace said, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you that, but I was pretty nearly desperate. So I just lay flat on my back and I let him do it. And the very first tear he made in me was so deep that I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Isn't that a picture of what Christ wants to do in our life? He's peeling away those layers of the onion. He's peeling away the self-centeredness, the pride, the things that in our life that need to be removed if we're going to grow in our relationship with Him and be that kind of person that He made us to be. And it hurts. But you know what? There's a really good feeling there when we let it go. And we put the past behind and we become that new creation in Jesus Christ. That's what the Father is doing as He prunes and refines us. There's a process involved in that too as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ that He wants us to join in. He wants us to make good choices along the way too to put ourselves in those places where we can learn and grow. About a year ago, or maybe it's a little bit more now, Willow Creek, uh, the church down in Barrington, Illinois, did a study of their particular membership and those who attend their church to find out some things about their congregation in terms of what's working, what doesn't. And how is it that people grow and what makes the difference in that growth? And they had some assumptions going into that, you know, that if you get people involved in meetings or activities or Bible studies or things like that, that's the way to get people to grow. But some of what they found in this study called Reveal surprised them. Some of the things that they discovered is that there is no correlation between age and spiritual maturity. You know, you'd think that as a person knew Christ, if they had come to know Christ as a young person and had known Him for a long time, that there would be obvious spiritual maturity. But that's not always the case. Some people get stuck and they don't deal with things in their life or they don't take steps of faith and obedience to walk with Him. And so that's not the best predictor of where somebody is at spiritually. They also found out there's no correlation between activity and spiritual maturity. 
Just being busy doesn't make someone a mature Christian. I mean, people can go to Bible studies, they could be active in the church, they could be doing different kinds of things, but activity alone doesn't produce fruit in our life. Spiritual maturity is a matter of the heart. And the greatest indicator of spiritual maturity is how someone describes their relationship with Jesus Christ and how that plays out in their life. You see, when we come to that point where we can honestly say of Jesus that He is my Lord and He is everything to me, those are the individuals who pray, who read the Scripture, who serve and use their gifts in ministry, who give, who tithe, who are involved and you see the fruit of Christ in their life because they've come to that deep conviction that Jesus Christ is everything to me. And they came up with a diagram that kind of illustrates this. I'd like you to put that up on the screen if you would. It's a spiritual continuum. And if you look at that first one there, um, you know, this first category are those who are exploring Christianity. And they say things like, I believe in God, but I'm not sure about Christ. My faith is not a significant part of my life. There's a lot of people like that in America who would say, you know, I believe in God, but Jesus Christ, I'm not so sure. Those are not believers. They are seekers if they are pursuing that. But many of them just aren't. You go to the second stage. There are those that are growing in Christ. They say, I believe in Jesus and I'm working on what it means to get to know Him. They are taking that next step. And that's great because we want to get to know Him better. The third category are those that say that they are close to Christ. I feel really close to Christ and I depend upon Him daily for guidance. They are growing and maturing in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the last stage are those that live a Christ-centered life where they would say that God is all I need in my life. He is enough. Everything I do is a reflection of Jesus Christ. The people that they hired to do this study looked at that and they said that this was one of the strongest correlations that they had ever seen anywhere in terms of predicting a person's behavior. How they described their relationship with Jesus Christ made all the difference in their Christian life. And you know that's the way that it should be. The heart of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not activity. It's not programs. It's our love relationship with Him. And the more we love Jesus Christ, the more it will show in the way that we live. I think that's what Jesus was trying to emphasize here in this whole passage in John 15. You see, if Christ is the Lord of our life, we will bear much fruit. You can say that in many different ways. If He's the Lord of our life, or if He's the center, if He's the most important relationship we have, if we're growing in Him, we're going to produce fruit. And Jesus says in verse 5 that apart from me you can do nothing. That is, apart from Christ we can do nothing of lasting spiritual value. But with Christ we can do all things, just like we sang this morning. Our relationship with Him is primary. And when we abide in Him or remain in Him, He says we will bear much fruit. Now, what kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? 
Well, he's talking about the fruit, for example, of a changed life. It's, it's a change in our character. It's the fruit of the Spirit that He begins to produce in us. His love, His joy, His peace, His patience. All of those things become more and more evident in the life of a Christian as they walk with God. But it's also the fruit of an influential life where we are a witness for Christ and we touch the lives of those around us. We have an influence on other people. And sometimes we have the opportunity to lead them to Christ. Sometimes it's using our gifts to encourage or help or to teach or to disciple. Whatever it may be, God will use us and we'll have an impact on the lives of people around us. And you know what? It's not work to do that in this sense. But if you think of an apple orchard and you think of those branches on an apple tree, you know, I've never yet heard an apple tree uh, branch struggling to produce fruit. I don't hear anything when I'm walking in that orchard in terms of those branches trying to gut this thing out. No, it's just simply letting the life of the vine flow through them. If a branch is healthy, If it's not harboring disease and decay, which is like sin in our life, it's going to produce fruit. In varying amounts, depending upon age and maturity, if you will, but it will produce fruit. It's the most natural thing to do. That's why also it's true that if there's no fruit, it's a pretty good indication that there's no life there. And Jesus said, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. If there's no life there, then they are liable to judgment because there's not that real relationship with him. We were made to produce fruit. And when we do, We glorify God and we prove that we are His disciples and there's no doubt about it because others can see Jesus in us. You note how awesome are these promises. I mean, verse 7, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. It's like a check that's already been signed by Jesus. He's saying, if you have that kind of intimate relationship with Me where you are growing in your relationship, you are abiding in Me and My words are in your life, and you value and you treasure that, pray, ask. When we pray for those things that are the Father's will, we pray for our relationship with Him, when we pray about our church and that God's will would be done in our church, those are the kinds of things that He delights to answer. And He is glorified by that. And then thirdly, the life of a Christian, a true believer, is a life of love and obedience and joy. You can walk through this next section in verses 9 to 16. There's so much there. I'm just going to point out a few of the things. They really are a commentary on verses 1 to 8. You see, verses 1 to 8 aren't just simply a lesson in horticulture. You know, it's not about how to grow fruit in a vineyard. It's about our relationship with God and with people. And Jesus is making that analogy here. And he tells us that it is a relationship of love that begins with God's love for us. He talks about 
our relationship with the Father. It starts with God. We are to love because He first loved us. And doesn't that astound you? He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in that love. How much does God the Father love the Son? Totally. Perfectly. Completely. And Jesus says, Just like the Father loves me, I love you. Do you believe that? I mean, do you really believe that, that Jesus loves you in that way? There are a lot of people who struggle with that because they don't feel very lovely. They've been so beat up by the world that that's hard for them to imagine. I love this verse from Zephaniah 3.17. It says, The Lord your God is with you, and He is mighty to save. And He will take great delight in you, and He will quiet you with His love, and He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you ever just stop and think about that? That God delights in you, and He rejoices over you with singing. What a wonderful image that is. When we were down at this conference in Charlotte this week, Gail and I went to see the Billy Graham Library that is there. And that was really interesting to see how his life touched so many lives in this past you know, century, if you will. You know, when you look back on the previous century and how many uh, people he came in contact with. And I, after going through that, just said, uh, Gail, the thing I admired about him the most was his consistency. His faithfulness to preach the gospel. Whoever he came in contact with or however God used him, he was faithful to that message. And part of what they do there, which should be no surprise then, is that they have um, people on video who are sharing their testimonies. And as you go through this whole thing, you don't leave without hearing the gospel. You know, it's just, it's what he did. And that's what they do there every single day when people come to visit. And one of the videos that they showed was of a woman who um, was one of those individuals who just had felt so beat up by life and so unlovely, abused as a child, kind of cast aside, got into wrong things in her life, and just was in a very broken state when she met Christ. You know, the world wouldn't have considered her to be valuable or attractive, but Jesus Christ did. And you could see how when she came to know Christ, how He just lifted her up. And you could see the joy she had in her life. That's what God wants us to do for one another. Because there are times when we don't feel very lovely or very spiritual, or we look at our progress and maybe we're discouraged. And we feel like we've kind of failed again, or we've done something that we shouldn't have done, and we need help and encouragement. You know, there can be truth in fairy tales. I think that's one of the reasons why they were written. And there are times when we may smile at them and think they're kind of funny, but there's maybe a lesson there we can learn. Tex Wendall pointed that out from the fairy tale about the princess and the frog, a story that we all know. And Tex Wendall said, Do you ever feel like a frog? (laughs) Frogs feel slow and low. Ugly and putty, drooped and pooped. I know, one told me. The frog feeling comes when you want to be bright, but you are dumb. 
When you want to share, but you are selfish. When you want to be thankful, but you are filled with resentment. When you want to be great, but you are small. When you want to care, but you are indifferent. Yes, at one time or another, each of us has found himself on a lily pad, floating down the great river of life, frightened and disgusted, but too frightened to budge. Well, we all know how the fairy tale goes. Once upon a time, there was a frog, except he was not really a frog, he was a prince. He only looked and felt like a frog. The wicked witch had cast a spell on him, and the only, only the kiss of a beautiful maiden could save him. Since when do girls kiss frogs? <laughs> it's part of the fairy tale. So there he sat, an unkissed prince in frog form. But miracles do happen, and one day a beautiful maiden gave him a great big smack. Crash! Boom! Zap! Suddenly he's a handsome prince, and of course they live happily ever after. So what is the task of the church? Kissing frogs and allowing ourselves to be kissed. We are to make one another kings and queens. It's a picture of grace, of what Jesus does when He comes to us and He takes broken people and He welcomes us. And He lifts us up and we are changed by the grace of God. Now we're all in process. It's going to take us till glory until that process ends. But we're to be here for one another. Loving, encouraging, helping one another. In fact, that's what Jesus says here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now love one another. This is my command. I want you to go and I want you to love one another the way that I love you. Wow. That's really important for the church. That's really important for each of us to get and understand and practice. When I look at the other things that are here, he talks about obedience. How does obedience fit into this? Well, disobedience hurts our relationship with God. How can we feel love from God if we reject Him and don't want to do what He says? I mean, we can't. Obedience is the proof of our love. John 14:21 says, Whoever has My commands and keeps them, uh, He's the one who loves Me. And he who loves Me will be loved by My Father, and I too will love Him, and I will show Myself to Him. It's as simple as that. You see, it's not talk. It's not talking about Christ that makes a difference. It's living it out. I mean, to say one thing and do something else is just hypocrisy, and that doesn't get us anywhere. On the other side, it's not perfection either. I mean, we're all going to fail in this, and we're going to struggle along the way with life and issues and challenges. It's the heart. And if our heart is to please Him and to keep growing and to walk with Christ... He will use us and we will be changed. And then finally, the Christian life is a life of joy. Joy is the fruit of our love and obedience. Jesus said in verse 11 that I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete or full. He wants us to experience that deep abiding joy. He wants us to be happy. And to experience His love in our life. And the world doesn't understand that. It thinks that the only way to find joy is in pursuing personal pleasure. 
But real joy is found in loving and obeying Jesus Christ. And I tell you, I wouldn't trade it for anything that the world has to offer. I want to go back to that spiritual continuum that Willow Creek found in their study of their church. And I want you to look at that again and think about it. Where would you put yourself on this spiritual continuum? Are you in that exploring stage where you just you want to check things out? And we've got a place for you. It's called Christianity Explored. And come and ask those questions and see who Jesus is. Are you growing in Christ but you know that you've got some issues or you're stuck and there's some things that you really need to work through? Take the next step. Get involved in one of our discipleship groups. Be involved in a small group with other believers who can encourage you and help you to grow. Do you feel close to Christ? Are you, would you describe your relationship in that way? Then let me ask you this. How are you using your gifts to serve Him? Because the closer we are to Christ, the more we see that this isn't about us. This is about helping others to know Him. About honoring God and using our life in a way that pleases Him. Are you at that Christ-centered point where you can honestly say that God is everything to me? I love Him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And use those gifts to the fullest to serve Him. You know, to all who abide in Him, to all who abide in Him, Jesus promises His peace, His love, and His joy. Come and experience that today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. It is awesome. It is powerful. It changes our life. And Jesus, I thank You for Your gracious invitation that You can use people like us broken, frail, sinful people that can be changed by the power of Your Word and Your Holy Spirit. And You can use us. And thank You, Jesus, that You call us Your friends. That You lay down Your life for us. And I pray that in increasing measure we would honor You and we would experience Your love and Your joy and Your peace in our life. I pray this in Your name. Amen.